Hi everyone, welcome to week 8 of Primary Healthcare Development's Pre-Ridge Pharmacy podcast. This week we have our very first guest, Atif Sadiq. Atif is the co-founder of Primary HD and he is a portfolio pharmacist based in general practice and academia. For you guys like me who haven't heard of a portfolio pharmacist until you meet Atif, it's basically a pharmacist who does everything. Atif works as a lecturer in primary care pharmacy practice and as an advanced clinical practitioner. Not only that, but he's a pre-reg coordinator for Medicare Chemist Limited and he works with other bodies as part of his portfolio career. We discuss performance standards in this episode and it's absolutely full of gems of wisdom, true gems. So get that notebook out. Enjoy. Hi Atif, thank you so much for joining us on Primary Healthcare Development's Pre-Rage Pharmacy podcast. We are so lucky to have you on this episode, you're our very first guest. How are you doing? I'm absolutely fine, thank you very much Sana. Pleasure to be on this episode with you today. Really looking forward to talking about performance standards. So are we. So let's jump right in because I know that you've got a rich experience as a pre-reg student, pharmacist and a pre-reg tutor. So, first of all, Atif, when were you a pre-reg pharmacist? Oh, right. When was I a pre-reg pharmacist? You really take me back there, Sana. So, um, <laughs> I studied on the University of Bradford M-Farm sandwich programme, which mm-hmm. meant that not only did I have one placement, I actually had two placements. So, I was a pre-reg student in 2012, um, and uh, that was my first placement. I did that placement in hospital. So I was based at Rotherham NHS Hospital Foundation Trust. And then my second placement, I did that in 2014. So that would have been my final semester. Um, And I did that uh, placement uh, at an independent chain who I now actually work with as well uh, here in uh, in Huddersfield, so Medicare Chemists. So yeah, 2012 uh, and 2014 was when I did my pre-reg. That's brilliant. So, regarding the performance standards, whilst you were a pre-reg pharmacist, have they changed much since you um, were a student, or from then till now, or are they pretty much the same? Well, not much really. They've not changed much. In fact, they are actually exactly the same. That's interesting. Um, I had a bit of a love-hate relationship with my <laughs> performance standards because, you know, writing evidences for these, I really loved doing that. Um, and pretty much I did make sure that I had a piece of ev- evidence for everything. Um, but as many people will know by now, I am a bit of a bit of a perfectionist. So the hate element is in relation to the amount of time I would spend to, to write each piece, really. I mean, looking back, regardless of the amount of time this process took, I do remember writing evidences uh, for performance standards was a very positive experience. Since um, the insight and you know reflective points that I gained from each piece was very valuable, to say the least. So, so yeah, I mean, I do look back at it in a in a very positive light, really. Oh, that's lovely. Um, so that's excellent. If they've not changed so much, then you'll be even more of a help than I expected. Let's so hope so. What, what were your pre-reg tutors like back then when you were a pre-reg uh, pharmacist? How what did they expect sort of from your evidences was the expectation different between the two tutors or was that pretty much the same as well? Mm. So yeah see I mean like I mentioned I did have 
two separate pre-reg tutors. So it, it was challenging initially when I finished my first placement in hospital to then uh, pretty much in the first few weeks felt like starting all over again uh, mm. when I went into the community pharmacy placement as far as performance standards were concerned. But what I did do was in my first placement, I was aware that usually uh, in hospital, there is, you know, there is a, a, a variety of things that you will see on your rotations. And I felt as though if I was able to do the bulk of my evidences then, um, when I do go to my second placement, I would be able to hopefully retain some of the uh, performance standards that I had been signed off for. And it would make my second six months a lot easier because as you can understand, in this final semester and in the second um, um, second placement in itself, I was needing to complete the placement, do the performance standard, but also okay. prepare for the exam. So, mm. you know, it was key for me to make sure that a majority of my work was done in the in the first placement in itself. But that didn't mean that the, the tutor in my second placement uh, was, you know, happy to just sign me off based on yeah. what I had done before. So in terms of the question that you were asking was, what was the difference in what they expected? Now, both of them, I guess, in terms of similarity, expected for me to be working hard, being proactive, making sure that I got my work done on time um, and obviously being able to, well, be the best version of myself, really. But the key differences, I guess, um, that I saw, and this is not to do with a community pharmacy versus hospital split. It was just the way both tutors were, was that over at my hospital placement, my tutor was uh, very insistent upon having a piece of evidence or at least a few pieces of evidence, written mm -hmm. pieces of evidence for each performance standard. And the reason for that is because usually when you are a hospital student, you usually um, not, well, you don't spend much time with your tutor really. Yeah. Uh, you spend more time with other colleagues and the evidences are a bit of a, a testimonial time just for the, um, you know, for the tutor to oversee your performance and see how you're getting on. Whereas in community, my tutor didn't necessarily expect me to write as many pieces of evidence uh, or evidences because I was there pretty much every day with him. So he yeah. was able to see and supervise what was going on. That doesn't mean that I didn't do, to be fair, I probably did his head in because I did um, a lot more evidences in community than I did in, in the hospital. But that was just me making sure that I had all boxes ticked, really. That is a really good piece of advice. And I can't believe you wrote so many evidences as a community pharmacist. But I guess, I guess that she was really impressed at the same time. Yeah, let's hope so. Right, Atif, let's talk about when you were a pre-reg tutor. First of all, when was that? So I was a pre-reg tutor very briefly. Um, it was a, a stint of approximately six months. And this was last year, 2019, okay. um, where I had a GP uh, split student. So my student spent two days a week with me in general practice. And then he went and spent three days a week in community pharmacy. Uh, but in addition to that, I have been working as a pre-reg coordinator for Medicare chemists since 2015 now. And this role in particular has involved providing pastoral care for both pre-regers and pre-reg tutors, as well as designing their training program. So I've had that involvement, uh, you know, it was pretty soon after I qualified actually, where I was able to 
to carry on being involved with pre-reg um, with, with Medicare chemists as well. That's excellent. So you're always up to date on where the pre-reg pharmacists are. Um, what did you expect in terms of your GP split placement student and obviously the students that you provide pastoral care for? What would you advise and expect to be signed off before the first um, performance review, if not by the first performance review? So as your listeners will be aware, there are three sections to the GPHC performance standards. Um, and these are personal effectiveness, interpersonal skills and medicines and health. Now, coming back to what you asked, this is one of those, I guess, how long is a piece of string type questions, to be honest, because okay. it really does depend on what plan you've got in place with your tutor, a key emphasis on you and your EB. Um, and the reason for that is because, understandably, some trainees will have more signed off than others. And often trainees do get caught up on, on this. And although it is nice to have some performance standards signed off by the first report, it's not mandatory. So one of the key things that I will say, and I would say to students, is not to worry. Um, as an ex-pre-reg tutor and current pre-reg coordinator, I would personally expect trainees to be displaying competence with all performance standards throughout the year. It's not, um, I've been signed off for managing my time effectively and now I can start turning up to, you know, work late type <laughs> situation. Um, mm. And remember, you can be unsigned for performance standards by your tutor. But I mean, if you were to really push me for an answer uh, of, as to what should be signed off by the first progress report, I would probably advise that some form of progression should be made with those standards listed under sections A and B. So that would be personal effectiveness and interpersonal mm -hmm. skills. Ideally, you know, in the first progress report, if we can make some form of progression within them areas, that would be great. That's excellent. So if anyone's, anyone was listening to that, basically, please do not stress out. It's not a competition. Um, yeah. Next, what are the trickiest standards to get signed off? Do you think, what do you think people will not struggle so much to get signed off, but rather find it a bit of a, a bit of a mission to get them signed off so that they're properly competent? I mean, for me personally, and, and for pre-regers that I have worked with in the past, the trickier ones are those that are listed under Section C, which is medicines and health. Now, the reason for this is because their focus can be very clinical for, these, uh, for the performance standards under Section C. And at the beginning of placement, trainees are just about getting used to the working environment. Uh, and as time progresses, they will pick up on clinical skills. So these performance standards will be easier to achieve. But depending on which sectors trainees are working in, it may also be very difficult to achieve some of the performance standards that come under Section C until they've done their cross-sector placements. And these are obviously most of the times usually around or after the new year. And we'll talk a little bit more about this later on. Um, but coming back to what you were saying about tricky performance standards, I guess mm. the most trickiest standard to be signed off for usually is standard B1.12. And this is handle co uh, conflict properly. Yes. Now, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm guessing you can probably uh, cast your mind back to when you had to do the same. Yeah, but basically, so nice. 
Yeah, it was because everybody is so nice. There is that element there. But generally speaking, as humans, we don't usually welcome conflict. I mean, why would you unless you really like like the drama? Um, and there are certain people amongst us who are more conflict averse compared to others and, and may try to avoid conflict mm. at all costs, which, to be fair, in itself, that can be quite detri uh, detrimental as well. So what I'm trying to say here is don't go out looking for conflict. But when conflict does arise, be prepared to deal with this in a professional, in a professional manner. I mean, it's a bit like uh, my favorite movie quote, which is from Thor. Uh, and obviously in, in Thor, uh, in the first, um, the first film that I think it was released in like 2011 or something along them lines, uh, Anthony Hopkins, who plays Odin as mm. ruler of Asgard, says to his son, Chris Hemsworth, uh, well, his son in the film anyway, Thor, um, uh, crown prince of Asgard, he says to him, a wise king never seeks out war, but he must always be ready for it. So what the GPHC are trying to establish from this particular performance standard is if there is a patient or colleague uh, conflict that you come across, uh, which to be fair, almost certainly there will be when you are working as a pharmacist and even as a pre-reg, they yeah. want to see whether or not you can deal with this effectively. And that's the key thing with that particular standard. It can be quite tricky, but you need to be able to show that you are able to deal with conflict in a, in a professional manner because, and I, I'm guessing, Sana, you will have had situations as a pharmacist, as a pre-reg, where there would have been either conflict with patients definitely. or uh, colleagues as well. Yeah, definitely. That is a brilliant piece of advice and it's nice that it's so specific as well. Uh, next, I've had a few questions from pre-reg pharmacists uh, about planning learning opportunities because I think when you're in uni and you're writing evidences and reflective statements especially like a Bradford Uni MPharm course right now is really really up on reflection it's all about reflecting on what you've done so it all seems a bit retrospective so they feel like they're doing something wrong if they're planning learning opportunities like plan CPD do you think it, what do you advise students on that do you think it's okay to plan do you encourage it I mean I would say it's absolutely fine to plan um, and it will most likely form, uh, you know, the trainees approach as as they progress throughout the period year. To be fair, to begin with, most of the pieces of evidence you will get in relation to unplanned events. So usually what will happen is, you know, you've started your first few weeks of the placement. Um, you know, you've, you've either come across a patient or a condition that you weren't aware of, but it's usually quite unplanned. But once performance standards that tie in with these unplanned activities are signed off, pre-regers will most likely embark on a quest to start planning events to have the outstanding performance standards completed. For, you know, for certain, to be fair, for certain performance standards, the only way you can have these signed off is to have planned events. So for example, C2.10 is demonstrate awareness of emergency first aid and this will require for you to complete an accredited first aid training course so ideally you know it does need to be a planned activity so certain you know performance standards suit that planned activity a lot more than others really that's excellent i'm sure that'll put lots of pre-reg pharmacists mind at ease thank you so much So Atif, 
I understand that you've got extensive experience in the GP sector. You've been obviously a pre-reg tutor in the GP sector. You've prescribed in the GP sector. It's something that I have almost no knowledge about. So I think something that is a huge blessing in this episode is that we've got you to discuss this sector and the differences between GP, hospital and community. So let's start with how does the GP sector differ for pre-reg pharmacists, do you think? So the GP sector for, for pre-reg pharmacists is quite a, a new sector. Um, I mean, there have been certain organisations that have been providing uh, GP placements for pre-reg pharmacists for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we have right now is two key, I guess, um, different types of formats of, 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 um, of, of GP placements. So what we have is Health Education England funded placements and then we have non-Health Education England funded placements. Now, essentially speaking, the end aim is the same. It's to try and get uh, pre-regis to have experience within a general practice setting. But there are certain additional requirements and recommendations if you are on an Health Education England funded um, uh, placement in itself, but you can get a variety of different types. So, for example, I did mention at the very beginning, um, I I was a tutor in general practice last Mm. year. um, And my trainee, the way things were set out for him was that he did spend, he'd spend two days a week with myself in general practice, three days a week in community pharmacy. And that is one of the models that have been, um, you know, I guess, uh, approved by health education in England. Other models could also include like a, a three-month block placement in one sector and then you move over to the other. But one of the key things to be aware of is that no student can spend the whole year in general practice. And the reason for that is because it's still recognized as a non-patient, fit. well, in the eyes of the GPHC pre-reg exam uh, or pre-reg um, uh, program, it is recognised as a non-patient facing sector just just right now, but things are likely to change, I'm guessing. Um, so things do differ. Um, you tend to work with the MDT team um, under the same roof, and um, there are certain things that you will see that you might not see in other sectors. Um, for example, uh, when it comes to things like um, diagnosing patients, you'll be working very closely with uh, GPs, nurses, physios, a variety of different healthcare professionals. You will get this as a hospital student. The mm. only thing is, uh, usually in uh, general practice, there's only, you know, the clinician, the patient and the student. So you get to have more of a hands-on approach and you can experience things that you might not have seen in other sectors. So that's, I guess just a bit of an overview of of a flavour of general practice placements. Um was there anything in particular with regards to standards that you wanted to uh, query? Yeah, if that's okay. So how would you advise a GP pre-reg pharmacist to tick off the standards that look like they relate to a specific sector, not not the GP sector? It's sort of like if they're working in community and the GP practice, what if they've got something like extent dispensing that happens usually just in like an aseptics unit in a hospital? How would you advise them to get those standards um, signed off and even the more abstract ones that do look like they're suited for a completely different sector? Now that's a very good question and I think my response to that 
is not only applicable to GP pre-regs. So this is something that's quite, I guess, universal. Even if you are working in, in community or hospital, there will be certain standards that you might find difficult to achieve in your primary based location. Uh, I'll, I'll briefly talk about general practice, but then I will go into more of a, a general response to that really. Mm. Um, so, like I was saying before, general practice, it depends on whether it's Health Education England funded or not. Uh, if you are a HEE funded student, then you will most likely, um, you know, get your performance standards done through the VQ Manager platform. Um, so, this is a platform where you would share your evidences um, and both of your tutors would be able to see this. Um, in terms of HEE funded placements, uh, you are required to be able to to show certain clinical skills, things like urinalysis, blood pressure measurements, etc. So, so it can vary. So, general practice, like I say, mm -hmm. uh, it, it does vary based on uh, uh, which program you are under. But coming back to the um, the point about having uh, performance standards uh, signed off, that you know may be difficult in your primary. Um, employ, employment or placement setting. Now, mm -hmm. remember, hospital and community placements, uh, like I was saying before, are recognised as patient-facing by the GPHC. And mm -hmm. technically speaking, pre-regers should be able to achieve all the performance standards within their training sites if they are based at hospital um, or community pharmacy. But as we are aware, there are certain performance standards that are more suited to a particular sector of practice. Yeah. I guess a key thing that you know could be done, cross-sector placements are very key in helping cover performance standards that are more suited to a different sector. But I do understand that such placements can be hard to get by with the current COVID situation. And especially if you're a, a community pharmacy trainee, since mm. usually, speak, you know, generally, if you're looking at the amount of trainees in the whole uh, of the country, there are more trainees uh, in community pharmacy. So there, there can be a lower amount of reciprocal placements available for hospital. Mm. But to be fair, regardless of where you are training, remember one thing, and this is a message that I would like to, to get across to the trainees that are listening in. To this podcast is that you are going to be under the supervision of experienced pharmacists and experienced pharmacy teams. So if there is a particular performance standard that you are struggling with or that you are struggling to achieve, do discuss this with your teams and they can arrange simulated scenarios even to help you with this. So, you know, for example, if you are working in um, hospital and you've not come across an emergency supply scenario, your tutor could quite easily um, create or uh, simulate a scenario that reflects such a supply. Other things like attending uh, training uh, provider courses can help, such as, for example, the primary healthcare development online classes. Now, these online classes are very good for covering some of the clinical content that community pharmacy trainees may not come across in their day-to-day. -day. Um, but we also offer things like um, the OTC masterclass and the law and ethics session, uh, all of which are really useful for uh, pre-regers in all sectors, really. And I would also encourage uh, trainees to try and get involved with the primary healthcare development telegram group yeah. uh, and put forward any suggestions because if they are struggling with a 
with a certain topic, I am I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely certain that you yourself, Sana, uh, would be able to maybe put a, a podcast episode together for them when you are doing your student choice topics. And, you know, the team can always arrange webinars and things like this for yeah, them as well. So, yeah. That they were diamonds of advice, especially the um, the one where you're talking about the pre-edge students in specific sectors being able to simulate scenarios. That's an excellent idea. And yes, definitely, definitely join the Telegram group. It's full of information and support. I second that. Thanks, Latif, so much for your advice so far. Let's move on to the practical aspects of writing evidences. How do you advise pre-reg pharmacists who are working full-time to get evidences written whilst they are working full-time? And as you mentioned, towards sort of the, the second half of the year, when they're revising for the pre-reg exam quite intensely, how do you advise them to get their evidences written? Oh, that's a very good, I guess, question, an important question. Um, to ask really. The thing is with the um, evidences that students are writing for their performance standards, they can take up a lot of time and it can be very challenging to do this uh, as well mm. as juggle a full-time job, a family life, preparing for the exam, etc, etc, etc. Now one of the key things that I do um, inform and tell my uh, trainees and colleagues about is to ensure that majority of your evidences and performance standards are um, you know signed off signed off and accomplished uh, within the first six to eight months so that's yeah. one of the things that I would say I know obviously it's virtually impossible to get everything signed off because um, um, it depends on what you are trying to um, achieve with your tutors your tutors may want to have certain things um, left until the end but generally speaking if you can get most of your performance standards signed off by the first eight months or so then at least it's not going to impact your division time as much and I think to be fair a lot of stu uh, tutors are quite understanding of that when it does come towards the end of the pre-reg year. Um, I would say if you are working full-time and you are finding it difficult to find time use things like your study time so you know majority of students will have uh, street time scheduled into their week um, and this is usually through their employer uh, so use that time to write an evidence and write it whilst it's fresh you know fresh within yeah, your mind yes. so if you've done something um, and um, you know you've done something at work you're carrying around that little magical book that Sana refers <laughs> to in in all her episodes you're carrying your book around you make note of an evidence don't wait around try to do that ASAP because the sooner you do it, the better that's going to be for you. And then you can forget about it really because you've you've got it done. So I would say uh, utilize study time, do it as soon as you can, try to get majority of your evidences done in the first eight months or so of your placement. It allows you to, to focus on the exam um, going uh, going forward towards the end of your placement. And one, one key thing is, is that, um, and this is something that I've kind of stumbled across as part of my academic career, is try to have focus time. So we do these things at university uh, for the academics called writer's retreats, whereby, you know, you turn your phone off, you get rid of all distractions and you say, you know what, for the next half an hour, 20 minutes, solid, 
I'm going to just focus on writing a performance standard. So you could do that, you know, maybe give yourself some time either on the weekend or the evening um, where you've just got uh, focused time to write evidences. So that would be, I guess, the tips to, to juggle things around. That's brilliant advice, especially the writers, Richie. That sounds fantastic. Right. Evidences themselves, how they're written, how detailed do you expect them to be from your students? Do you like them just, just to ramble a story? Do you like to have a set structure, like a model of reflection? Or how do you expect them to appear to you? Mm -hmm. I mean, this particular question that you're asking with regards to the layout of an evidence is it's very different, I guess. The answer to this is that it's very different depending on your tutor. This is going to all be dictated by your writing style, but also by what your tutor expects from you. One thing I will say, and this is where, um, you know, when I was talking about my love-hate relationship with evidences, I mean, I must have loved them so much so that on my first day of my pre-reg, so this was back in 2012, I must have been in year three because I was on the sandwich course, mm -hmm. and I went in to my placement on the first day of being introduced to my tutor I actually had already done an evidence no <laughs> yes yes so I had already done an evidence and um, I mean the reason why I tried to do or I did this because I was wanting to make a good impression but in hindsight it did more than just that it did more than making a good impression because what it did do was when the tutor saw the evidence um, you know she had a look and she said and, you know, I really like the way this section's laid out, but this section, I would rather have it in the following way. And mm -hmm. it's a bit too wordy here. And so I got some detailed feedback pretty much on day one. And the benefits of that was that basically I wasn't waiting around for three, four, five months where I'd wrote or written maybe 10, 15, 20 evidences to then be told that they're not written in a correct format. So I'd say in terms of how detailed an evidence needs to be, you need to have that discussion with your tutor, but you need to have that discussion very early on. Don't delay it. I mean, I'm not expecting you to go into day one like I did, because <laughs> I think, like I say, that might have been um, me being really enthusiastic, but it worked. It worked really well. Maybe in the, in the first few weeks, you do write in evidence and you say to your tutor, what do you think of this? Some uh, employers do have templates as well in place uh, for what they expect um, to, uh, to, to appear on an evidence sheet. And, um, and I, I guess there are some tutors that are not particularly bothered so long as it's on a piece of paper. So yeah. you do get a, a, a variety of um, uh, approaches to how detailed things should be. One thing that we will be doing on the uh, Primary Healthcare Development Telegram support group is we will be releasing uh, a template for performance standards. So this performance standards template that we will be releasing will be quite universal and you will be able to edit it and adapt it in your own way. So again, um, I guess another reason for you to join the Telegram group because we will be sharing that on there. That's absolutely excellent. I highly recommend again to join the tele Telegram group. They're brilliant pieces of advice. What a dream peerage pharmacist you were. Right, Atif, and to close off today's podcast, can you give our listeners the best piece of advice relating to performance standards? So best pieces of advice then, I guess um, one of the key things that I will say is start early. 
So I'm going to give more than just one piece of advice because as you are aware, Sana, I like talking <laughs> and I can talk forever. But yeah, first key piece of advice, start early. Make sure you have that discussion with your tutor and find out what it is that they require in terms of a rough layout and how often they would like to see evidences. So number one, start early. Number two, going back to what we were saying before, carry a book like Sana always says, make sure you carry a book with you so that if you do and you will stumble across unplanned um, you know, learning activities, you make a note of this so that you can go away and write up an evidence. So carry a book, uh, start early, make sure you write up evidences. Number three is make sure you write up evidences as soon as you can, ideally, whilst mm -hmm. it's fresh in your mind. Um, that's number three. And uh, number four, and this is a key one, I guess, is you are not in competition with other pre-regs. So yeah. it doesn't matter what they've had signed off by their first uh, you know, um, uh, performance review. It doesn't matter how many uh, evidences they have done. You are not in a competition with them. Some of your some of your colleagues will have only done one or two pieces of evidences, and and they will be signed off. But that's the way their tutor wants to work. So these are the four key pieces of information. I mean, if you did really want to compete with your colleagues, um, or you wanted to compete with other pre-regs, you might find it very difficult uh, because I mean. Me, myself, I was just having a look at my, I've still got my portfolio actually from my uh, my pre-reg year. And in my first placement, I actually did 64 pieces of evidence. <laughs> in my second placement, I did 54 pieces oh of evidence. Oh my gosh. So that's uh, 118 or something, something crazy that's like right. that. Yeah, so yeah. you're not going to be able to compete because you will find uh, people like me who will just be, uh, doing evidences because we don't have a life so it's not a competition and to be fair um, you know my tutors although um, they said they enjoyed reading my evidences I think I might have done the heading as well uh, along the way so just make sure you have that that conversation really I mean now that we are here Sana um, I can flip the tables and uh, I could interview you quickly and ask you how many you did because I'm, I'm just wanting to to make sure that there is no other pre-reg or ex-pre-reg out there that beats me uh, in number of evidences. Right. Number one, if anyone's listening and they're beating at it, feel free to get in touch with any of us. Number two, in the first uh, placement, you've beat me completely. Like I think you've got double. So in the first, um, com uh, in my hospital placement, I only wrote sixty, and then in my community placement, I was I was in that so exactly the same mindset as you. I was going to go for it. I wrote five evidences, gave them to my pre-registry, and he was just like, what are you doing? I watch you every single day. We spend 37 and a half hours together. I just need to see an evidence. So I've only written 65. Mm, so I win. I win again. You win, so you like win. Say, you win. If there is any pre-registers out there that have, or even current pharmacists that might be listening into this episode, if you have wrote more evidences than I have, then feel free to get in contact with me because <laughs> I would love to to be able to find out um, you know more about you I guess because we're probably more aligned I'm guessing we're more <laughs> particular when it comes to evidences. That's excellent. Thank you so much, Atif. I've had a great time talking to you, and I hope you've enjoyed it as well. Um, Definitely, so... really, really enjoyed this. Really enjoyed this. Yes, and um, I mean, last few comments before we finish for the. Uh, students is I hope you all enjoy your pre-reg placements make sure you enjoy this year this year is all about learning more about yourselves 
It's um, a year that you will definitely look back on and you'll hopefully have a lot of positive experiences to reflect on as well. So do enjoy your placement. Thank you so much. And thank you to everyone who listened. And we'll speak to you next week again. Thanks again, Atif. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope you loved listening to Atif just as much as I did. It's great to have such an accomplished pharmacist giving his insight and advice on things like this because he's so involved in the world, world of pre-reges. Join us next week when I talk all about another favourite topic of mine, audits. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter and join our Telegram group for exclusive case studies and our continued support.